Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting EXIT PLAN with no spaces to 44222. That's EXIT PLAN to 44222. Again, text EXIT PLAN to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach tip of the day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome again uh, to our show. Uh, it's very nice to have you with us. Always a pleasure. Uh, and, you know, things keep, uh, uh, seem like things are going really well in the economy. It seems like interest rates are low. Uh, and people start thinking about things like investing in or building real estate. And uh, your luck today, my, guest, my first guest is Garrett Mott from Hanson Bridget LLP. He's senior counsel there in Los Angeles. And Garrett's been on our show before, and we've talked about real estate-based uh, topics. And if you'd like to find those, you can always search our website for those past uh, interviews. But uh, here's a little bit about Garrett. He's a lawyer who specializes in a niche area of the law, construction. His clients are contractors, developers investors and owner builders and he handles everything from construction contract negotiation to litigation and dispute resolution so coming on today we're going to talk about the do's and don'ts of developing and investing in real estate in the great state of california so uh, i would like to again uh, once again welcome to the show uh, garrett mott garrett thanks so much for joining us today and welcome to the show bill thank you for welcoming back it's, it's great to be here yeah, it's my pleasure. We had a lot of great comments from the prior issue. You know, we we talk about a lot of different things surrounding business owners, but you know, uh, as we were discussing a little earlier, Garrett, uh, one of the biggest holdings that a lot of business owners have is the building that their business operates out of, or maybe other buildings that they own. Uh, a lot of people diversify into that, so it's kind of important that they they really turn their attention to knowing more about the do's and don'ts of developing and investing in real estate. So we're going to talk about that. But first, uh, give our listeners a little sense of your background and your firm's background. Sure. So I, uh, I started my career in, uh, in the law doing mostly real estate-related work and uh, some criminal white-collar matters, mostly related to real estate as well. And then I transitioned over to Hanson Bridget, my current firm, which is uh, currently the number one construction law firm ranked by Chambers in, in California. We handle everything from billion-dollar projects all the way down to uh, little old lady from Pasadena cases. Uh, we handle construction defect cases, contract disputes, negotiation, and ge general dispute resolution. Um, and, you know, I, I want to tee off on something that you just mentioned to your listeners, talking about interest rates, the economy booming. We're We're seeing a significant increase in construction work, not only on the mm -hmm. transactional side, but also on the litigation side. And it's now is really the time if you're looking to be an investor or developer in this stuff. Uh, a lot of people are getting into the field uh, and there's a lot of 
specialist experts out there uh, like like me who are able to handle that for uh, for these investors and developers. Is there any particular thing that you can put your finger on that's that's causing that? I mean, but we talked about a couple of them, you know, low interest rates and and a, a rising economy. But you know, people are always worried that well, the the real estate market might be subject to another bubble. Things are you know, prices are high again. Why do you think there's there's so much going on in, in and around the real estate market now? You know, un, unlike uh, unlike the last time around, where uh, we kind of learned what would happen when. We left market forces to the government. It seems like this time uh, the people who are buying and holding real estate have all the money. A lot of my clients are buying property straight with cash. It's not like the old mm-hmm. days where people were mm-hmm. buying properties uh, with you know they're highly leveraged. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the I think that's one of the reasons. Second reason is uh, unlike ten or fifteen years ago where we only had construction uh, done by large uh, corporations and also in this kind of design, bid, build strategy of of building buildings. Now we have all these different collaborative methods of designing and constructing in development. There's there's so many different ways now that people are using uh, from Triple P, which is uh, private-public partnerships, to integrated project delivery, uh, that's IPD, and then the standard design build method I, I think it's just it's opening up the field to a lot more competitors and we're just we're seeing mm-hmm. a lot more contractors out there we're seeing a lot more architects out there and I think with that increased competition it's it's also increasing the amount of building that's going on interesting yeah yeah you know a lot of people are looking at you know what do I do if I have cash because uh, my business has been doing well what do I do with my cash and of course when they turn to the bond market and the money market the you know standard conservative uh, keep your powder dry money uh, places, they're not seeing any yield in those areas. Of course, the feds have tried to raise rates a couple times, but they're you know, met with some resistance there. So maybe they're looking at, you know, like you said, put the cash into real estate as an asset class. Uh, it, it will likely outperform even the, the, the low-risk uh, categories that are available to them. Who knows? Um, there, there's a lot of that going on. So what do you see, you know, that, that brings us up to the current, what do you see as the biggest change in construction means and methods over the next 10 years? That's a, how's the crystal ball working today? <laughs> I think it's, I think it's doing okay. You know, the, uh, the, the biggest changes I think we're going to see are, are one, I talked a little bit about those collaborative delivery methods. We're going to see that and we're going to see it on more projects. So, so let's back up a moment and talk about what that means. When, when you and I are, are remodeling our home, right, we, we go, we're, we're going to do a home remodel. What we do is we go get a contractor, and then after we get the bid from, or sorry, we go get, a, we get an architect, and after we get the design from the architect, we go to a bunch of contractors, and we solicit a bunch of bids from those contractors to design or to build whatever the designer made. That's called right. design, bid, build. That's the way it's always been done. Uh, over the last... 10 years or so, we've had these new collaborative methods like design build, and you're seeing these small contractors team up with architects and build these design bid, design build firms. And that, that wasn't that wasn't prevalent 10 years ago. And now even even small firms are doing that. So I think that's one thing we're going to see. We're going to see a lot more collaboration together with architects and uh, and and contractors. Second, I think what we're going to see over the next 10 years is 
and I was just listening to a podcast about this, a, a labor shortage. I think we're going to see significant labor shortage in the construction industry. It's already happening. Yeah, that's why yes, prices yes, are going yeah. up. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think the main reason that's happening is, um, you know, you've heard about that college scandal. People, uh, maybe even your listeners, too, everyone wants their child to go to college, and nobody's really sending their kids anymore to, to these trade schools and these skilled trades. And so because mm-hmm. of that, um, there's a significant mm-hmm. labor shortage in the construction industry for these skilled trades, and I think that's going to increase significantly costs over the next 10 years or so. And we're already seeing it. Uh, we're already seeing it happen as a result of that and as a result of the tariffs. Kind of a reverse supply and demand. You, you have uh, uh, builders that are, are backlogged and uh, and contractors that are backlogged because they don't have the the, the manpower, woman power, the, the people power to build uh, uh, the, the number of projects that they have. And so as they become backlogged, they can raise their prices. Is that what it boils down to? That- that's right, and you know, at the same time, you you just raised something else that's very keen in, insight on. Um, you know, what we're also seeing is with this decreased labor labor shortage, we're seeing increased delays on construction jobs because people aren't able to get their crews out there. They're having to mm-hmm. double or triple triple stack trades. Um, you know, anytime, even me, I'm I'm trying to do a home remodel right now. For me to just find a contractor mm-hmm. in my area to do my work is is a painstaking task, um, and I mm-hmm. think we're going to see that. For, for many years, uh, we just we don't see that that slowing up. We're not in the same situation that we were 10 years ago, in the in the credit default market. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's a, it's an interesting byproduct. And again, if you have kids uh, or grandkids, if you're listening, that you know that that are in the middle school, high school, you just don't see the the prep, the the shops as you, like you used to. In, in that level of education to get kids even interested in the trades. Uh, and so it, it, it becomes very difficult um, for them to find their way into that. Um, uh, so, so let me ask you a question. So as a, as a devel- if I'm a developer, what's the best way for me to vet a contractor? What, what, is, what process do I go through for that? Yeah, and I can, I can apply it too even to your, to your clients who are maybe just um, – Think about doing uh, their own home remodel, or they're going to do their own mm-hmm. home investment project. Maybe they've got a single-family home they want to flip, or something like that. There's a there's a couple key things you got to look out for. One, um, and this is something you know a lot of people miss, but it's very easy. You have to check their license. You need to check their license history. Make sure they're licensed. And there's a couple reasons for that. Um, one, in California, uh, contractor license law is extremely draconian. If if a contractor performs work at your job and they're not licensed, they can not only disgorge, that means give back all the money that you paid to them. So let me say that again. They're going to do a bunch of work at your, your house. You get all that work for free, and they have to give you the money back if they're, mm. if they're not licensed. And in addition, they can't sue you for any of that work that they did. So it's, it's a very powerful tool. It's very draconian. It's very harsh. Um, and it's something that you need to watch out for in case your contractor is not licensed. Also, unlicensed contractors, you know, we have a lot of the construction defect issues here in California. A lot of them are due to unlicensed contractors. So you need to make sure that you check that. A lot of your listeners might be asking, well, how do I check that? The easiest way to check that is to go on what's called the CSLB website. That's the Contractor State License Board website. You just type in the person's name or their business in there, and it'll tell you if they're licensed or not. 
So that's the first thing you got to do when you're vetting contractors. The second thing you got to do is when you're negotiating the payment schedule for what you're going to do with the contractor, make sure that it's milestone-based, not schedule-based. And I'll, I'll talk about that for a second. When, when you and I are going to go remodel our, our bathroom together like we were talking about, um, a lot of contractors will just give you a week-by-week -week schedule, right? They'll say, ah, this job's going to be done in 10 weeks, and so we're going to give you a 10-week schedule. You pay $2,000 a week to do the schedule. Don't do it that way because invariably, like with all construction, it's going to be delayed. And so you're going to end up having to pay $2,000 for the next week and more delays and more delays. And a lot of the disputes that I've handled, they, they arise because of issues like this. Instead, make it milestone-based. So say when rough plumbing is done, you get this much money. When the framing mm -hmm. is done, you get this much money. When inspections are passed, you get this much money. So that way you have something objective to look for when you're doing your scheduling. That'll save you a lot of headaches. That's and great. The third, mm -hmm. And the third thing I, I would kind of look out for or maybe even ask your contractor is how long they've been working with their subs and how many projects do they currently have ongoing. And that, that, that last question is about what we just talked about couple minutes ago, if they've got a bunch of projects going on and they're promising you and telling you that they're, oh, no problem, we're going to get your job done in 10 weeks, bet against that. That's not going to happen. So I'd make sure to ask those questions. Is it important to make sure in some way, shape, or form that the subs have their credentials? It is. It is. If the if the subcontractors are also not licensed and they're not working under the license of the contractor as employees, um, then yes, they they also need to be licensed and they can be subject to the same draconian rules that uh, that the statute provides as general contractors are. Would would it be prudent to ask a contractor at the onset of a project who those subs are going to be in advance so that they can so that you can do that? that diligence? Definitely. And you, you should also ask for the subcontractor's bids to see how much, you know, you can kind of get an idea of what the markup is, right? Mm -hmm. If if you, you find how much the general contractor is doing the management for and their indirects and how much that markup is going to be if you ask for the subcontractor bids. So that's that's also great advice. Are they, are they, uh, are the contractors required to give you those sub bids or is that just something that you you would hope that they would required no unless if it's in the in the contract between you and the and the, mm, okay and the GC. yeah okay those are great tips so check check their license check the sub license check out who those are going to be don't pay don't pay on a schedule make it milestone based and and find out their their history and working with the subs all great great tips uh garrett uh Let's talk about the the contract because we, you know we all get those contracts that you know just sign here and everything will be fine. But what what are the you know without going line by line, what are the terms in a contract that that uh, we should be most wary of? So there's we'll talk about two, and then the two I most often see. The first one is an arbitration provision. Uh, mm -hmm. When you see one of those arbitration provisions, you've probably seen those in those form contracts you get maybe from the store or you buy something. And they're these big, long yep. forms, and they're bold yep. and all all italics. Those, those kind of things, contractors put them in there, in their uh, in their contracts. But a lot of times, they're not enforceable. A lot of times, they're not enforceable. So hmm. 
make sure you check that. You can run it by a construction lawyer and see if that type of provision is actually enforceable. It'll save you a lot, a lot of headache down the line if you end up needing to go after the contractor for some problems. The second, the second thing, and this is probably the biggest issue, are change orders. Change orders are the ubiquitous, most shocking thing that happens to, to people on a job. You, you and I, going back to our bathroom remodel example, we pay $20,000. That's our expectation as the customer to pay $20,000 to get our work, and then lo and behold, a bunch of things happen that were unexpected, and mm -hmm. we get issued a change order by the contractor, right? And now we're kind of mm -hmm. in this weird spot where we're stuck, and we're in this uh, when this sunk cost fallacy land, where yeah. we're we we've already paid our 20 grand, we're already stuck with our contractor. Now he's telling us, well, you got to pay an extra $10,000 to fix this other issue. We're we're stuck, so we just pay it. That there should be in your contract very specific specific terms about how to deal with change orders. It shouldn't be left up to discretion of the contractor or oh we'll just handle it when it when it comes along. No, no, no. It needs to be very specific, needs to lay out certain procedures. And one of those procedures I would suggest is change orders need to be in writing and they need to be approved by the owner prior to any work being done. A lot of contractors will just go ahead and start doing work before a change order is even signed. Don't don't let that happen. That should not happen in your in your contracts. You know, and like you said, a lot of times uh, unanticipated things happen along the way uh, of a building or a remodel or whatever it happens to be. So uh, I mean, you've you got to expect something's going to happen. Is there a way to uh, cap the potential costs or, or charges that they might be, you know, uh, up front? Or, or how, do you, how do you deal with something like that? The best way I've seen... Um some of my investor clients handle this is you can you can check the contractor's price. And the way to check it is one of two ways. Either you get a third-party contractor slash estimator to come in and check that price and tell you whether or not that's that's a fair price. That's one way to do it. The second way to do it is to in the contract have the architect who is the one that you hired and is on your side have the architect be the deciding vote, if you will, as to whether or not the change order is should be approved or not, or whether it's val a valid, uh, trustworthy change order. That's the, that's the second way to do it. And in fact, uh, AIA, which are the standard contracts that we use in our business, that's how they run their contracts. They run their contracts with the architect being sort of the neutral third party who evaluates change orders. And so far, that's the, that's the best way to do it. So, so listeners, I think you you, you get the sense that uh, Garrett's done this before. <laughs> uh, Garrett does this every day. His firm, Hanson Bridge, it's very experienced in this particular area. And Garrett, I understand that you have a, a book that you're working on that's going to be coming out soon. Tell us a little bit about in advance of that. What, what's it going to be about? And what's uh, you have a working title? Uh, sure, sure. Um, so I do. We we have a. There's a book called Money Matters. It's a great book. You can look it up. It comes in a, in a series of, of different books by, by subject matter. And uh, I'm going to be writing a, a fulsome chapter in that book. And the chapter's you know, current title is Deconstructing the Law of Construction for California Real Estate Investors and Developers, who are often my clients. So I tried to write it for them and write it in a, in a layperson's sense. It hits on 
three points, one of which we talked about today, uh, and two others which we haven't. The two others which we haven't are uh, mechanics liens, which happen often when you're dealing with contractors. And it's something you need to be aware of and how to deal with them. The second one is when you're building new construction, there's a law in California called the Right to Repair Act. I think we may have discussed this in our previous show together. And that, that law uh, has a lot of procedures and different processes that you need to follow when you're dealing with new construction. So for your listeners out there who are interested in doing a new construction, maybe a set of apartment buildings, maybe they're gathering together with a bunch of partners to build um, some condominiums, you know, they, they need to be aware of that law. And I try to address it in a, in a lay fashion uh, without citing to the code. And then the third one, which is I, I still consider the most important thing to talk about always, is change orders. So I talk about change orders, how to deal with them. Um, it's kind of, my, kind of my tips and tricks I've seen uh, over the years in dealing with these issues. And so that, that book, you know, we're still in the editing process. I imagine it will probably come out in the next three to four months or so. I look forward to it, and I hope you'll come back and share the the information when it's out. It's refreshing to talk to uh, an attorney uh, in in real life, uh, easy to understand terms about this complex area of construction law, Garrett. And uh, listeners, you can go to the website for the firm. It's called Hanson Bridget, and I'll spell it out for you: H A N S O N. Bridget is B R I D G E T T. Dot com hansonbridget.com and look up Garrett Mott there and get in touch with them if you have questions about your uh, projects either you know upcoming projects or, or questions that you have about current situations that you might be in that, that need to be dealt with so Garrett thanks once again it's been a real pleasure to have you back and uh, really appreciate you taking the time today thank you Bill really appreciate it Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio.